The perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Pick 6 Podcast, CBS Sports Daily NFL Podcast. I'm Will Brinson. I'm your host. It is, uh, let me check my watch here. See, uh, it's Tuesday, December 17th. You're listening on Wednesday, December 18th. That means it's a Brady Quinn football show! <laughs> Are we doing one next week? Is this, is this the last one before Christmas and some of the holidays? This is, you know what, Brady? This is our last podcast together of the decade. For a while. Yeah, of the decade. So let's just get this out of the way, okay? Uh, Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, whatever else you celebrate out there. I hope you enjoy it with family, friends, loved ones. I hope you eat too much. And then I hope you join a gym like so many people do come January, use it for about a month, and then waste money the rest of the year having joined uh, and then never really making it back out. I hope you experience that like everyone else in America because that's a tradition. Are you calling me fat or are you just saying that to everybody in general? No, I'm saying that to everyone. Like everyone who listens to this, everyone who watches this, I hope they just fall in line with the same trend and cycle we see every single year around this time. Enjoy the family and friends, eat too much, maybe have, you know, some party a little bit, you know, time to time, and then join that gym come January and then basically stop going after the first month. Yeah, that's, that's what you do. You try to get your life back together, try to get your Mm -hmm. life in order in January, and then by January, 31st, you give up and you say, yeah. screw it, going back to the, what I had going on before. Uh, also, of course, joining us, Ryan Wilson. By the way, uh, pro tip on the, uh, joining the gym, just run, go outside and run. If you get tired, walk, walk home, call it a day, save yourself a hundred <laughs> bucks a month, put that towards, you know, beer. That's, that's, that's lonely, Ryan. That's lonely. Here's the thing is, you want to be in the gym. You want to see other people working hard. There's a synergy there. You know, you're like, hey, I can do more than that guy or that gal. And then you do it for a little bit. And then you realize like, man, it takes commitment to do Brady, this and I can't do it look anymore. At you, look at you and then look at me and Brenton. You think we want to be in a gym prancing around saying, hey, look at me over here well, on the treadmill falling off Will, this thing. Will does you like prancing. Well, I don't know about in a gym. So. You know what? Ryan and I, Ryan and I actually, we do often say when we go to the gym, we're like, yeah, I'm out, I'm out lifting that gal right over there. <laughs> Take that lady. <laughs> <laughs> she could deadlift 25. Watch this girl. I remember, uh, uh, there's a legendary place in Ohio called Westside Barbell. It's actually a guy named Louis Simmons. A lot of the strength training that every professional athlete like abides by and goes off of, it started in this gym. Like the, uh, the, the hyper machine is what they, I think it's called or whatever. The reverse hyper. He invented that. Like he started all this stuff, right? So he's like a renowned strength trainer, Olympic sports, professional sports, West Side Barbell in Ohio. It's a small little room. They have a chalkboard where it's like written up where guys are like deadlifting a thousand pounds and all this stuff. I'll never forget. One of my high school teammates took me in there. His dad played ball at, uh, at Michigan. His brother played at Va Tech and he ended up going to Northwestern. And so they, but they were big strength trainers. And I was like, all right, I'll go check it out. You know, it'd be nice to get faster. I'm kind of this big, you know, tall, slow, skinny white guy. So I go in there and the first couple of times I'm like, all right, this is cool. Like I feel like we're lifting a lot, but I'm not doing like a ton. And I'm one of those guys that like has to be active. And then the third time I went in there, I remember we were doing like, this like U bar, right? So like goes over your shoulders and goes down and this like low box squat. And, and this, this younger woman came in and she was, I kid you not, I was doing like sets of 275. She put on 315 and I just like watched her squat and I was like, all right. I was like, I, I think I'm good. Like I'm just going to check my pride at the door. I'm going to walk on out of here. Cause, uh, like, like there's something going on here. And then, cause then I started looking around. I was, I'm like, People are a little bit too strong here, if you know what I mean. Like, you don't want to get caught up in one of those gyms where it's got like a bad, you know, environment for guys who uh, have to take drug tests and stuff like that. I was like, now, now I'm starting to think people are getting too strong at this place. So, uh, that was the last time I ever went there, but it was a cool experience. I can't imagine like taking roids 
just to be like buff. Like I get, I get it to make money and like play football or basketball or whatever it is. Like I, I'm not saying that you know you should take steroids and cheat the game in the honor of a game and blah 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 blah. I'm just saying like if you want to make all that money, I get it. Take the steroids, be better than everybody else. Uh, I can't imagine taking them recreationally. That seems like a waste of steroids. <laughs> I don't think it's a recreational drug, Will. I don't think it works that way. <laughs> I think you actually have to like be doing something physical. The only the only one that I would ever contemplate in my head is like HGH because everyone says you sleep better, you recover better, you feel better off of it. And that's obviously a reason why a lot of athletes try to take it is because especially in football, going through a tough, long season, you know, you're going to be beat up. And so you'll do anything to just feel better when you wake up in the morning and feel like a normal human being for once instead of feeling like your foot hurts, your back hurts, your neck's out of alignment, and everything else you deal with. XNFL QB, colon, HGH makes you feel, quote, normal. That's my headline, <laughs> my headline for, this, uh, for this podcast. Hey, by the way, it is Wednesday, December 18th. If you're listening to the podcast, you may be watching it on YouTube on Tuesday night. You can watch it at youtube.com slash CBS Sports. Uh, look for the little green pick six logo. You can check it out. We'll have a bunch of clips there. We also do our week, uh, our look ahead lines from the week before. We do those every Sunday. Um, and then we have our pick show on Friday. So make sure and check out all the great content on YouTube. But I'd be remiss if I didn't tell you that you need to go to CBS Sports HQ today and get all your signing day coverage. Early signing days here in CBS Sports HQ is your destination for the most in-depth coverage as the nation's top prospects put pen to paper, just like Brady Quinn, Brady Quinn did once in the day. These are the guys we'll be talking about on Sundays and Mondays in just a couple of years, starting at 9 a.m. on Wednesday, December 18th. It might have already started. CBS Sports HQ will have live reactions to all the signings and flips, updated team rankings in real time, and analysis from <gasps> Brady Quinn, Danny Cannell, Barton Simmons, Steve Wiltfong and many more tuned to the CBS Sports HQ for free through the CBS Sports app on your phone, Roku, Amazon Fire TV, or Apple TV. And check out CBSSports.com, 247sports.com, and MaxPreps.com for everything early signing day. The, the journey starts there, man. All these high school athletes have dreams playing in the NFL and having us talk about them on the Pick 6 podcast. It starts tomorrow, that early signing period, different from when I was there, 65%. Uh, I think a couple years ago, 70% or 77% last year. It could be over 80% this year. Now guys signing early, getting into college early, starting early, and then trying to get his, get in the NFL as fast as possible. So uh, that journey starts really tomorrow for a lot of those top prospects. Will you be saying something like that during the show? Like, will that be like the teaser as they come in? It's like, like you're holding a football and you're walking towards you like the journey starts tomorrow. Um, the journey starts today, I guess. I, I try not to think too much about how I'm, you know, gonna gonna say what I'm gonna say, but yeah, I'll probably mention that the, the journey starts at some point tomorrow. Do you? <laughs> so you don't plan out a whole? Do you plan out a bunch of stuff? You're like when you're calling a game, are you scripting us? Ever you just kind of go? You know what it is <clears throat> when you call a game, whether it's NFL, college, what have you. You really just try to read as much as you can, watch as much film as you can, take some kind of some notes on some thoughts that you have. But then you've got to just see where the game goes. You know, you have your open, and so you're going to talk to people and viewers about, hey, why should you watch this game? But it really comes down to, after that, what's happening in the game, explaining why it's happening. And then you can add context from what's happened in the past as either a future predictor or indicator of what's going to happen uh, or just, you know, telling the storylines of how the season's gone. So uh, you try not to have, like, too much, uh you know, material that's already been rehearsed, already written down because – it might not fit where that game's going. And and I think it's your job to really be where that specific game is and talk about where it is and where you think it's going to go. You're really more of a do your homework and be ready for the test kind of guy. I like it, Brady. It's that, yeah. You know me. I'm max prep, right, Ryan? Uh, let's get back and talk about Drew Brees really quickly. We'll also touch on the dysfunction in Cleveland. And, of course, we'll have mock draft talk. Uh, coming up after the break, as well as some bowl biz, Joe Burrow discussion, et cetera, et cetera. A lot of draft, a lot of, uh, oh, Jordan Love. A little bit of hot water for that young man. But he's also, it's, we'll, we'll get all this stuff after the break. But first, uh, Drew Brees broke a record on Monday night. I don't know if you saw this. They, um, I think they mentioned it once or twice on the broadcast. I didn't really catch whether they discussed it or not. Just sort of, you know, keeping it out of the corner of your eye. Uh, maybe they mentioned it leading up to the game. Maybe they mentioned it during the game. I don't really recall. But Drew Brees broke uh, Peyton Manning's touchdown record. And do you look at him, Brady, and are you surprised that it's that guy who ended up being the guy who broke it? And um, do you think that the fact that he broke it in New Orleans – I mean, I don't know, I'm just kind of curious your thoughts on Brees and where he stands in the pantheon of quarterbacks. 
um, in, in, in the general lack of coverage surrounding his touchdown pass last night. Uh, well, for starters, sets all-time passing TD record for the regular season. For the regular season, right? Because like, when I saw that stat, I kept looking. I was like, wait, does Tom Brady have more career touchdown passes? Well, yeah, but you have to include the postseason. And so, you know, obviously we want to create a more level playing field. So we say, okay, you know, he's got the most touchdown passes for the regular season, uh, which Tom Brady's still playing. So we could be having a different conversation in a couple weeks or at the start of next year when we actually get back together. On Saturday. On Saturday. Saturday may happen. We, we may be giving Tom Brady a pamphlet saying, congrats, you've got the new all time (laughs) record now. And, and then starting this whole conversation over again. So. Um, the, the thing that you got to kind of point out is the fact that Tom Brady is well ahead of Drew Brees uh, in total touchdowns, including the postseason, which, again, I don't want to get into semantics. It's an incredible accomplishment by Drew Brees. I'll get to that in a second. But uh, he still technically hasn't thrown more touchdown passes in the, in, in the NFL than Tom Brady. So it is what it is. But to your answer your question, I'm not surprised by it being Drew Brees. I think what's incredible about him doing it is the journey. You know, he had surgery, and at one point you did not know once he left the Chargers what the rest of his career was going to look like. He, I mean, he really should be thanking Nick Saban and the Miami Dolphins for not signing him and instead going with Dante Culpepper because that opened up the opportunity to sign with the Saints. He gets paired with arguably the best play caller in football uh, to go along with some talented playmakers he's had to throw to throughout the course of, of his career there. Uh, a great offensive line. I'd say probably top three or five, depending on what year, but in pass protection, almost as good as it gets. Good running game. He plays in a dome. I mean, this is a dream scenario for any quarterback to enter into, but how he got here is through a lot of hard work, probably reinventing his throwing motion to some degree, his mechanics, his routine, and everything else, and and getting there with a different team. And I think that's the most significant thing to me is it's hard to start over with another organization. Drew Brees was able to do that, win a Super Bowl, and is now setting records and playing some of his best football at this point in time in his career and his life. But you can't discount the fact that it is the perfect scenario, probably the best scenario for any quarterback to put up stats and have this sort of production. So I hope that doesn't sound like I'm taking anything away from what he's doing. I just think you've got to give a lot of other people credit for this because even though he's out there executing it, Sean Payton's putting him in a great spot. Michael Thomas is the best receiver in the NFL, in my opinion, right now. I talked about the O-line and having backs like Kamara, for example, or Murray or Ingram last year to help out with all of it. So, uh, And then playing in a dome. I mean, that definitely plays a significant factor. If you compare him right now to Tom Brady, regular season attempts, he's actually thrown, I want to say, a 100 and some more passes than Tom Brady. So he's been in a more pass-happy offense than I think what Tom Brady's been uh, during his time in New England. So we talked about this last night on the Pick 6 pod, Brady, comparing him to Peyton Manning. And on the surface, that probably sounds a little silly. But you sort of look at the numbers, and, and they're pretty comparable. Peyton has one more uh, Super Bowl win. Um, we know that um, that Drew Brees won it all in 2009, that big game. And when you look at his even his advanced metrics, he's always in the top five. I don't think he's ever won an MVP. We talked about that last night. In 2011, he was the number one quarterback in terms of advanced metrics. and just, It was always pretty much him. Uh, Brady for a while, Rogers, and, and of course Manning. I want to get your thoughts. Are they that different? If if you're playing, say, if he's playing Indianapolis in the dome, are, are the Colts that much different of a team during Peyton Manning's heyday? If those two guys switch positions, I don't know. It's tough to really answer that question only because you know you wonder if the play callers there too would change what they're doing to fit what you know what their skill set is. I mean, I think what sticks out about you know really Brady Manning and, and Breeze is they all have one extraordinary talent that maybe is the greatest that we've ever seen when you watch them play. Uh, for Peyton Manning, it was obviously his mind, the way he handled the line of scrimmage, the way he got them in, uh, the the right play or the best play more often than not throughout the course of his career because it, it really kind of became his offense, especially when he went to Denver. For Breeze, it's the accuracy. And I think that's what I took away from last night's game and just – you know, so impressed by 29 for 30. I mean, I get it. You're at home. You're playing against a Colts team that struggled um, defensively and, and plays a, probably too much zone coverage. But come on, man. I mean, this is the NFL. He made it look like it was, you know, seven on seven in practice versus the scout team. It's ridiculous. And And so you go back and you look at, you know, how he does it how he's able to find ways of getting Michael Thomas the football so he's eventually going to break the receptions record for a single season. And I believe the record, too, for the most receptions in their first four years. 
I, I think he's going to break that as well when it's all said and done. Um, or maybe, maybe first five seasons and that could extend into next year, but, um, it's his accuracy. I mean, that guy is as accurate as any quarterback on all three levels, deep, intermediate, short as, as any that I've seen. And it, because he doesn't have the strongest arm, he's obviously not the most athletic. Uh, and obviously he's smart, but, um, you don't see him really do quite as much as Peyton Manning does at the line of scrimmage. Uh, and there's a lot of good things that Sean Payne puts together for him to dissect and dial up. But the accuracy is what I come away with every time and say, he's incredible. I mean, it's just, it, it's the best I've ever seen in my lifetime. Uh, and, and in particular, when you think about one thing that I think they, they really perfected during the time of Marcus Colston and Jimmy Graham, some of those receivers, that back shoulder fade that you see, uh, a lot of times they actually did a lot, you know, a lot of up the seam too. And, you know, that's, that's a pass that really takes precision, timing, knowing where the guy's going to be and putting it in a perfect spot for him to really adjust when the defenders on top of him turn back and make that catch. And, um, he, he perfected it. I mean, they really made it a thing where everyone was consulting with them in the offseason about what they were doing within this offense to be so effective. So I looked at that real quick and, um, Drew Brees is the all time leader, at least going back till 1985 and completion percentage, 67.6%. Uh, let's see. Matt Ryan is sixth at 65.4%. Peyton's just behind him at 65.3. You go down a little bit and Tom Brady's 15th at 63.8. But I'll ask you, Brady, if you can tell me who is number two on this list in completion percentage, um, I will buy you a gym membership for the next five years. Oh gosh. Uh, since 1985? Any player. Yeah. Anytime between now and then. And they've been in the league. They've been in the league at least. Five years. They're current. I'll give you that. I'll give you a little hint. They're they're still in the league right now. Russell Wilson. You want to guess, Brinson? Wait, say the question again. I got distracted <laughs> by the gym membership thing. Just to give you the specifics. Who was number get... two? I'm looking at a list that goes back to 85. This person's still in the league. They played for at least five years. Who was number two behind Drew Brees in completion percentage uh, on this list that I'm looking at? Is there a qualified number of passing attempts for the list? They've been playing for five years. Yeah, so I mean – you know, Steve Young's on the okay. list. Dan Marino's on the list. Tony Romo's on the list. Okay, and they're they're number two, and they're currently behind Drew Brees. Yeah, and they're currently in the league. I'll give you that hint. And it's so ridiculous that you'll give us a gym membership for five years if we get it. You, I'll uh, give you a ten-year membership. <laughs> well, it's, uh, hmm, uh, God, I can't think of uh, Marcus Mariota. That's a terrible guess. Uh, <laughs> Kirby Cousins, number two oh! at 67%. Wow. Wow. You know, right? that's one for Pete Prisco. Yeah. That is. That is. And that's why he's yeah, paid. That's why every single time his contract negotiation comes up, you know what Kirk Cousins does? He goes, <laughs> and he just <laughs> slides over that resume. Mm-hmm. And every time you look at it, you go, whoa. Is he a three touchdown and one interception ratio guy and he's completing 67% of his passes over 4,000 yards? Sign him up. How much do you want to get paid? (laughs) That's wild. Cousins is second all time in completion. Why is that not played? Like, you're right. If you, if you don't, if you didn't look at like, if you didn't look at his, do you know, do you, do you know who number three is, Brady? I know Ryan does because he's looking at the list. Did you already say it? What's that? He didn't say it. I'll give you a hint. I'll give you a couple of hints. Okay. He was born on the same day, same birthday as me <laughs> and Michael and Michael Vick, and his favorite food is biscuits and gravy. Biscuits and gravy. No idea. Are we looking at this? I don't, I don't even know your birthday. Chad Pennington. Person. Chad Pennington, baby. Okay. Yeah, Pitt, me, Pennington, Vick, Jeter, just a couple legends. And uh, I distinctly remember one time they did like a food thing on um like Monday Night Football or something. It was like you know they're like Chad Pennington's like my favorite food's biscuits and gravy. And it's like oh this guy's <laughs> awesome. I love Pennington. Um, that I do love cup. some biscuits and gravy too. I had biscuits and gravy last uh, last Saturday at a breakfast with Santa. Delicious. Ooh. You know who else loves great food? Lots of commentators. Uh, they were talking about great food last on Monday Night Football. In fact, I saw that. They mentioned it a bunch. Is that and, what you uh, saw? Is that the only thing you saw? Was there any yeah, sausage there was, there was on there? something else I saw. Was so there any sausage you... on that conversation there? <laughs> there were. Um, you know what delicious? You ever had the sausage balls that people make for Christmas time? No, um, no I don't. They're, oh, they're no, so I don't. good. 
Is this the moment where we're going to talk about what happened last night on TV? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, when you do your broadcast training, is there any one thing that they tell you not to do? Yes. Actually, there is, Will. I'm glad you asked this question. What, what, uh, what is- so, back when I was making my transition from playing to calling games, uh, both college and NFL – um, you know, they got this thing called a telestrator, right? And it's basically like a TV screen or computer screen. You have a little pencil and, and you can draw on it, right? We, we see that all the time when we watch games. There's only one thing they said you really don't want to do. And it's not draw a male genitalia or anything that could look like that on the, t- on the actual telestrator. And so anytime you're getting close where you're circling guys and then maybe you're starting to draw something else, to look like that, you need to either A, change your course or direction or erase as fast as possible. That is literally the only thing they really tell you outside of just, hey, don't forget to uh, erase it so it doesn't play over the actual moving screen once the players start moving, once when you start drawing in a freeze. That's the only advice. That's the only advice they gave you in, uh, on primetime last night. We didn't just get a treat with uh, 540th touchdown in the 504 or whatever was said. We also got to see, uh, well, uh, a bit of a surprise, you know, a bit of a how you a doing, Brent, good morning, a little afternoon delight, if you will. Yeah. You know, like uh, Auburn has the kick six. Some might call that the something else. The what? Anyway, I don't think I can say it. What? The pick um, six. D- pick six, but with a D. <laughs> Welcome yeah. to the Dix podcast. Um, <laughs> the uh, Also, by the way. Not to, um, not to belabor the point of the announcing because we don't, we don't want to, I'm not trying to critique no. the other announcing, but there was a moment when, uh, uh, Mr. McFarland pointed out that he's like, now I haven't seen everybody. I, I didn't see Jim Brown, OJ Simpson, Jerry Rice, but I'm telling you, Tom Brady's the greatest quarterback of all time. And I don't disagree with him in that facet. However, it is odd that he played in the Super Bowl against Jerry Rice. Um, you got awful quiet, Brady. What, did you want me to chime in there? I mean, I, I loved Jerry Rice when I was young. Is he the greatest football player of all time? You could definitely make that case statistically. I mean, he's probably by far and away the best at his position. So, you know, maybe I, you want to throw that I in there. I just thought it was odd to, I just thought it was odd to like lump Jerry, like Jerry Rice played until like 2005. <laughs> yeah, and by the way, the numbers he was putting up at the end of his career were ridiculous. Insane. And the best part was, I remember watching a thing on him where they were like, yeah, at the end of his career, to lessen the impact, but get in the work, he would do a lot of running in the pool. And so the best thing ever was you see like 23, 24 year old wide receivers being like, Oh yeah, I got to do a lot of that pool running. So I don't have that wear and tear. I'm like, dude, you're the first two years of being in the league. Like you need to run. You need to continue to keep developing that speed and all that. I was like, Jerry's got you with just his, his wisdom and, and his savviness on the field. He doesn't have to run a, a four, five, four, six, whatever he ran. He could basically just set you up with his moves and knowing where he needs to be when he needs to be there. So a lot of guys didn't really didn't really catch on to that, understand that. They just wanted to hang out and run in a pool, I guess. Hey, you know what? Not all young wide receivers are going to blossom into the greatest wide receiver of all time. For instance, Odell Beckham. Maybe he doesn't pan out. Who knows? Cleveland right now is a total mess. Shock me, shock me, shock me with your repeated Cleveland behavior. Uh, Mike Silver of NFL media reported that Jarvis Landry and other Browns players were screaming at the Cardinals sideline on Sunday. The Arizona Cardinals, who a year, like less than a year ago, fired their first year head coach and hired Cliff Kingsbury, doing a great, very impressive job, by the way, um, yelling, come get me, which is like the new thing that people yell in NFL games. Like, come get me, get me out of this disaster. <laughs> um, a phrase that Odell Beckham had reportedly uttered to other teams in pregame warmups previously in the season. Landry was caught in a, in a, in a spat with Ryan's boy, Freddie Outhouse. So we don't call him <laughs> Freddie Kitchens. He's Freddie Outhouse. Brady liked it. Hey, Brady wow. likes it. <laughs> yeah. And, um, there we go. Kareem Hunt sort of, sort of thrashed him a little bit. Yeah. I feel like there's some plays that everybody didn't leave their 110% out there the whole play. <laughs> Through the whole play, through the whistle. And I've all got to do is, and we've all got to do that if we want to be successful. We got to finish. You got to come out strong. And that's usually our thing. They did not come out strong. What, uh, where are we at in Cleveland, Brady? To blow it all up again? <laughs> Go to Ryan first. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll respond after Ryan. Did I say Thank something? you. Thank you, Brady. Someone loves Freddie Outhouse. I've worked long and hard on that. These guys dumped all over me. Continue <laughs> the outhouse pun going there. Could it be Freddie Upper Decker? Could it be Freddie Away Game? There are a million of these things they could go with Freddie Kitchens. 
<laughs> Look, man, to carry on the analogy, the Cleveland is an S show, right? I mean, we can all agree on that. There was a report that uh, Odell Beckham was actually asking the Steelers to come get him as well. I mean, think about this for a second. Doug Hodges, you're like, you know what? I can play with that guy. Mason Rudolph, yeah, I'm all right with him too. I don't know where you go from here. There's a report, I think yesterday, the day before, that Freddie Kitchens is going to be back. It sounds like John Dorsey is for that. It's unclear if, if Haslam, Jimmy Haslam, the owner, is for it. It sounds like he was stomping around after the game, after that loss in Arizona, which was a totally embarrassing loss. Um, I don't know where you go from here if you continue to move forward with, with Freddie Kitchens because it's not clear what direction he's going in and obviously what direction the, the program's going in. Um, which is, I mean, I'm sure it's super frustrating for Brady as a Browns fan and Browns fans everywhere because this was supposed to be the year they turned the corner. Looks like they hired the wrong guy. I don't think bringing in Odell Beckham was necessarily a bad thing, but you got to figure out a way to use them. you got to figure out a way to use Jarvis Landry and make it all come together. And that was sort of our big concern in August. Can all these pieces come together? Uh, can Baker Mayfield handle the pressure? It doesn't really seem like he's been able to do that. And, um, you know, the things have really sort of gone south since, since Miles Garrett uh, club, club Mason Rudolph over the head. And, and even though they won that game, it felt like a loss and it's been pretty much losing ever since. Yeah. They've, they've gone right down the toilet, I guess, in that house <laughs> or bathroom, whatever. That was amazing. <laughs> Kudos to you, Ryan. Kudos I'm to you. Thank you. That as proof to Sean and Breach that you thought that joke was funny. Cause it, <laughs> you know what? That thing hey, went first. over like a, like a turd in a punch bowl when he said it the first time. <laughs> I love it, man. I, I think it's great. I, I love Ryan. I wish Ryan talked more on this podcast. Finally. Um, so I, I think that's the toughest thing about this. And, and I've talked about this a couple weeks ago, uh, is just, there was never any culture set in place there. Like th- this is the difficulty I think Jimmy and D Haslam have is, they're at a crossroads now where once again, they may feel like, was this the right hire? It, it's, it's tough to feel like it was considering the results and how things have played out this year. And, and so maybe they feel differently behind closed doors in that organization. Um, and maybe that tells a different story and they want to give it another year. I, I would be okay with that just cause again, I hate removing a head coach after one year. I hated what the Cardinals did last year. Although that being said, like they do look like they're in a better spot this year. And if that's what this is ultimately about is wiping the slate clean, building back with someone that can ultimately get your quarterback and your team playing up to its potential, then there is definitely an argument to be made for moving on. The problem is how Cleveland goes about doing that versus Arizona is are two separate deals. Arizona didn't necessarily have a track record of you know, blowing through coaches year after year or every two years. That has unfortunately been Cleveland's issue since they've come back in 1999, both under Randy Lerner and under Jimmy and D. Haslam. So the problem with that is, is you never instill a culture. One of the most eye-opening things that I ever experienced when I was, when I got traded and I went to Denver was you immediately felt from the equipment staff, um, you know, for example, flip or, Steve Antonopoulos, we called him Greek with their training staff or the strength staff back then with, with Rich Tootin. You know, there was this culture that was already built. There was a standard. There was an expectation. Everyone there, whether they were upstairs and they worked in the front office or community service, whatever it was, there was a standard and a bar that was set and they would continue to keep trying to push it and raise it. And they, they, they knew what their, their job was. They knew what they were expected to do. In Cleveland, because you have so much turnover, it's just, it, it's, it's hard to then set in that sort of environment or culture where everyone understands the expectations and then knows what their job is and then how they get there, right? And so that's the problem is if they start over again, they run right back into that issue with whoever the next head coach is. Because once you bring in a new head coach, then you've got to play a different scheme. Maybe it's a different technique for that player because those players on the roster might not fit what they want to do. And so if that's the case, then they got to bring in new players. Well, what happens when you bring in new players? Look at Baker Mayfield this year. You know, we talked about how Odo Beckham, you know, maybe hasn't quite worked out, even though we do like the fact that they brought him there, and I'm with you, Ryan. But he was training on his own in the offseason. You know, he wasn't necessarily with Baker Mayfield quite as much. And when you go and really break down the film, and in particular this past week, go look at the interception that he threw to Patrick Peterson on that post route. I, I don't know if it was the fact that they haven't developed enough chemistry over the course of the year or before the year, but the throw was off. Coming into the NFL, I thought Baker Mayfield was one of the more accurate quarterbacks I'd ever seen. One of my comps for him actually was Drew Brees. 
because I think he is that kind of accurate quarterback. But somewhere between last year and this year, whether it's a clean pocket, whether it's pressure, whatever the case may be, not only is he not anticipating quite as much, he's not handling that pressure quite as well and throwing more accurate footballs or catchable footballs. And that, to me, more speaks to the fact that he's not on the same page with the guys who are out there running routes. And so, you know, is it Freddie Kitchen's offense and the tweaks or changes or Todd Munkin coming in there? Maybe. Is it the offensive line? I'm sure they've played a portion of, 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 of that to blame. But all these things that have been an issue because it hasn't come together, and, and that's what you expect when you have this much change. But what we've seen and what's been revealed is when adversity strikes, there's no culture in place for this team to be able to withstand it, forge ahead and move forward, and block out all the noise, and then be able to ha- find success or build off of that adversity to become better. So that, to me, and I know it's long-winded, and I'm sorry I took up so much time talking about it, but that, that's unfortunately the situation that the Browns are in now, and that's the decision that both Jimmy and D Haslam are faced with moving forward. Is it? Um, yeah, I think it's interesting that you mentioned Breeze because I do think there's a there's a reasonable comp there. They're both very productive in college, uh, you know, played in sort of Breeze's. I, I mean, I think Purdue was kind of a spread offense uh, of sorts when Breeze played there. It wasn't like a full pro style system or anything. It wasn't you know Lincoln Riley Oklahoma, um, but you know they were very accurate passers. You know, shorter, st- stayed in the pocket, liked to move around a little bit, um, could run if they needed to. And Breeze, like his first two years at you know at in San Diego completed less than 60% of his passes. Now, Baker was up a little bit higher last year, like 65, but this is, we're also talking like a 17-year difference in the NFL. Um, I sort of wonder, like, is it possible that it is a culture issue with Freddie Kitchens and that if they could get the right offensive coach that it could really spark Baker Mayfield to, to greater things? Are you worried that there's permanent damage here with what could happen to Baker both in the locker room, outside the locker room, with his learning skills and all of that? I'm worried that, there's the chance that he doesn't grow from all this. That's what I'm worried about. Um, I think when you look at some of the comments, like the medical staff stuff, we've talked about that. Uh, it's just unnecessary. And, you know, when you look at last year, granted, when he came in and we started from that point moving forward, he really did spark the team. And he had a phenomenal rookie year. But whatever took place over the course of the offseason, at some point he really bought into this, like, well, I am who I am. Well, that's fine. But if you are who you are today, and that's who you think you're going to be tomorrow, then you're not going to be successful in the NFL because it's hard to freaking make it. Even when you have a perfect foundation scenario around you, for, for, for example, not to get off on a tangent, but for as great as Drew Brees has been, one of the greatest passers, most prolific of all time in the NFL, he's got one Super Bowl. He's got one Super Bowl. And so, so winning is not just about you and your performance. It's about being able to raise the level of everyone else out around you. And, and look, and I think Drew Brees has, has done that. I think he should have been playing in a Super Bowl last year, if not for a terrible missed call. Um, but if you look at Baker Mayfield, how that applies to him, you know, if he can't look to see how he needs to mature and grow as a leader and as the face of that franchise and how he can help everyone else grow and become better, then it's not going to matter because they're, they're, they're not going to win enough games and, and you're going to look at it and say, well, yeah, obviously, you know, that, you know, that hindered him or that caused him to, to not be the player we thought he was going to come in, you know, going to be coming in from Oklahoma. And so this all to me weighs on how Baker Mayfield looks at himself and everything else moving forward. If, if he looks at this year and he looks at back at what he said and what he's done and how he trained and how he prepared and he tries to build from that and improve from those mistakes and realize that you can't just be the guy that you are or say unapologetically, like, I am who I am. You just have to deal with it. No, man. you got to be better in every aspect. And so if he makes those strides, like I think he could be a guy that we're talking about next to Drew Brees as far as some of these stats and, and, and how prolific he could be as a passer. Uh, probably along with you know Patrick Mahomes, who is, is, is his contemporary. But you know, that's to me that I think is – I think that's where he needs to focus on. It's just how he can grow and improve and get better from all this. And even with how he is off the field and as a leader and how he's viewed, I think, amongst his teammates. Because I also hear from some people there that there are some teammates who are tired of, of how he's been and how he's conducted himself throughout the course of this year. Mm. All right, Ryan, you can take whoever you want on the current Browns and you can take him from the kitchen and shove him in the outhouse. Who are you tossing out of the house and out to the – the old, uh, the old toilet. The old dookie shoot. <laughs> uh, look, 
here, here's the, uh, uh, that's what we call the outhouse in, in North Carolina, Brenton. Not, not what you're thinking. Huh? Yeah, you like that? Uh, so Dave look, I'll, Clinton. I'll follow up. What? Nothing. Go ahead. I'll follow up what, um, what Brady said. So look, if you're going to stick with Freddie Kitchens and if that's your plan, if you don't want to have turnover, number one, let someone else call plays because he can't handle all this. And number two, you can actually take a page from the Steelers where Jimmy Haslam was a minority owner at one point. The Steelers have the infrastructure in place to handle guys like Antonio Brown. And when Antonio Brown got to be too much, they moved on from him. The Browns do not have that infrastructure. If they don't feel like they can handle Odell Beckham, who is in no way, shape or form the, the headache that Antonio Brown is, at least as far as we know, move on from him, trade him, get something for him, build a, a team around Baker Mayfield where everyone's on the same page. Everyone's trying to win. Simplify things for Freddie Kitchens in terms of what he has to do every day as a as a head coach, not just as a play caller because he can't handle it, and then go from there because th- there's too much going on. There's too much sort of uh, nonsense from the outside coming in. Brady talked about Baker sort of not being the leader he should probably be at this point in his stages, year two of his career, and get back on track to playing football because everything else is too much. Quit wearing dumb T-shirts out the night before big games and quit doing the little things that come back to, to bite them every single week. And, and hopefully that will be a good starting point if you're insistent on sticking with Freddie Kitchens for one more year. Can I ask this? I mean, if you look at every other quarterback now, obviously you have to, um, well, I'd say you have to exclude Rosen just because he hasn't been playing quite as much and he was dealt a terrible hand with everything. But I will say this. I think he's actually two, two terrible hands, really. Right. And, and he actually has handled it with, with class probably much better than, than maybe, dare I say, Baker would have if that was his scenario. But of all the quarterbacks in that class, I mean, you kind of look at Baker in comparison to them and forget about the on the field stuff, but how each one of them has kind of led their team or at their time handled adversity. I, I think if you rank them, you'd probably rank him as five right now. And I don't, I know Lamar hasn't faced that much adversity because they you know, won the division last year and went yeah. in the playoffs and all that, but got, got booed in the playoff game. I mean, I mean, but, but, but I'm just saying like, if you were going to rank them, like he'd probably be last of all those guys with how they've grown or how they looked coming from college to the rookie year, rookie year to year two. Am I wrong in saying that? Uh, not no. I mean, I, I think, you know, when you look at Josh Allen, he's been blue collar, grinded, been exactly what Buffalo wanted when he showed up and worked hard. Um, you know, he had a rough offensive line. He's been mocked like social media and by, you know, draft Twitter and whatever. And he's, he's taken it all in stride. He's worked his tail off and he's gotten a lot better. Um, Lamar Jackson, you know, was told to go be a wide receiver and never like, like Baker would have clapped back at everybody in sight. And Lamar's, you know, made some jokes, but only like, you know, in route to winning an MVP. Um, he's been a great leader by all accounts in that locker room. You know, I think when you look at, you know, uh, who, who am I missing here? Uh, Darnold. Darnold. Yeah. God. I mean, Darnold, well, Darnold went out and like made out with somebody, but I'm not going to ding him for that. Like Mono, are we going to give, we're going to bang him for Mono here? He battled through Mono well, if you look at him kind of on the other side, once he had the, the game. And think about it, he saw Ghosts, too. Like, he might be in the next Ghostbusters movie that's going to come out. <laughs> no, yeah, like, I think Darnold's done a good job. And, I mean, I, I yeah, Baker Baker's dead last. I mean, he Baker – the other thing that Baker did that – and I know this sounds stupid. This is like, like an old man hot take type of thing. But, like, did, did, did really did everybody have to appear in GQ this offseason? Like, do we really need that? Couldn't that time have been better spent getting on the same page with Odell Beckham? Hey, I've been in GQ before. Not going to hate on him for that. So I'm 100%. <laughs> that stuff gets blown out of proportion anyway because they always fit it within your schedule. It doesn't make as much of a deal about it. My concern is, like, forget about that. It's just not finding enough time to get Odell Beckham to connect with them so that they could kind of be more on the same page because, you know, again, he's not. it's not like a guy who's going to play a ton during the preseason and training camp. Uh, so that's more of an issue to me. Like the, I don't, and I don't care about the, the, you know, the endorsements or commercials because again, like you're taking money out of his hand. Like, are you not going to, you know, sign that deal for, who was the insurance company that he's, he's, he's done some commercial. Is it progressive? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, first off, the the funny commercials, he's a good actor. Yeah. But I was just saying like, who knows how much he got paid for that? There's no way you're going to tell him not to take that opportunity to take a day or two and film it in his own stadium. Right. I don't, I don't mind that. I, I don't like, I don't mind the idea that's like, gets, gets your cash in your pocket. Wait, were you in GQ for like, was it a Brady Quinn profile or is this no, the Tebow? No, no, no. That, that wasn't even that. Like what you're referring to wasn't even the same magazine. Um, this is for like when we were coming out of the draft, there was like a number of quarterbacks or young quarterbacks too that were in the league that they did like a photo shoot and stuff like that for. 
Hmm. You know, they did one of those um, in like 2009. It was like like uh, Internet's Hottest Bloggers, and Wilson and I were both on that. For uh, I could see Wilson being in there. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Um, ooh, August hey, by 16th. the way, Brenton, there's one more yes. name for the list that Brady didn't address. How has Mason Rudolph handled his adversity, Brady? <laughs> by the wait, by the way, I just found this 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 GQ thing. This is incredible. <laughs> Vince Young running shirtless, holding a football through the, for the through the forest. Matt Leinart laying on a on a on a pool with. With a, a bikini clad, uh, a, a older woman who looks to be, um, like, uh, what's her name in, uh, Bo Derek uh, and Tommy Boy. Bo, De- Bo Derek, thank you. It looks it's like a Bo Derek lookalike with a bottle of champagne next to him and some of those, like, Nike shower flops and a Nerf football. Uh, B- Brady Quinn with, like, long, like, quasi long coiffed hair in a white, like, tee hanging, what appears to be like a Barcelona coffee shop or maybe this is a James Dean type of thing. I'm not, I'm not sure what the vibe is here. I think that's um, what they were going for, yeah. Jamarcus Russell in a fur coat walking away from a private jet. And, uh, oh boy. Oh boy. Ben Roethlisberger in the rain in a car. <laughs> this is creepy. That's a, that's not a good look. Uh, Tony Romo is a farmhand. These are freaking amazing. We, yeah. yeah, I'm going to put these, we need to do a slideshow on these. Um, but yeah, Mason Rudolph. Uh, were we supposed to comment on that? Nah, I don't know. I we were supposed to break 10 minutes too, I think. <laughs> we can break. Uh, when we come back after the break, we will talk about some other quarterbacks coming out of the draft class. Will Joe Burrow dress up as James Dean and hang out at a coffee shop for a glamorous men's magazine? Who knows? We'll find out after the break. The all new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads ensure you can take on any adventure. Available H-Track all-wheel drives you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud. Standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together. Available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone. Whether you're tailgating out in the dirt lot, Carter Finley, shout out Carter Finley, or whether you're whitewater rafting, taking the entire family on an adventurous trip, maybe you're out camping at Mount Rogers. I used to go as a kid, wish my parents had a Hyundai Santa Fe. The Hyundai Santa Fe is perfect for your family outing. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back. Time to uh, time to do some draft talk. Look at some young guns. I'm always disappointed when the title of the article is not Young Guns with a Z. Because then you could really make fun of somebody 10 years, 20 years <laughs> down the road. You know who else is a young gun? Joe Burrow, pow, 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 he tops Ryan Wilson's mock draft. Who else you got in the top ten, Ryan? Yeah, I better read this week, uh, Brenton. Last week you read, and people <laughs> thought you were having a stroke. So I don't, I don't want people to be concerned about your health. So yeah, Joe Burrow's number one, he, as he has been for the last two months. It feels like Chase Young's number two to the Giants. I mean, that seems like a slam dunk. A little movement around with the offensive tackles about where they go the next few picks. Tristan Wirfs, the the right tackle who can also play left tackle. Is the first pick for the Dolphins. Andrew Thomas, the left tackle for Georgia, is the uh, pick for the Redskins, to, 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 uh, excuse me, protecting Dwayne Haskins. He's not going to play in the bowl game, which made Prisco very happy during HQ. I think Brady has some thoughts on that. Derek Brown, the defensive tackle, is going to Matt Patricia's Detroit Lions. He's not going anywhere. Jedrick Wills uh, is the right tackle to Alabama. There were some conversations about Alex Leatherwood, the left tackle, but people love Jedrick Wills. I talked to a scout who who was just blown away with how, how good of a season he had, so he's moved up to number six. CeeDee Lamb to the Jets to help out Sam Darnold. Another left tackle, Austin Jackson, at USC, who's had a really good season going to the Jaguars. Uh, Isaiah Simmons, the linebacker 
uh, safety hybrid. It's going to the Chargers. I like to see him play with Derwin James. That would be a lot of fun. And Javon Kenlaw, defensive tackle out of South Carolina, one of the best pass rushing defense tackles in this draft class, is going to the old Broncos. I like it. Uh, Thomas, I thought it was amazing because it's 2019. I, I feel like we're all sort of should be on the same page that, you know, with with the way that the NCAA operates, with all the money that is at stake for a guy who could be a top 10 player, for seeing a guy like Jeffrey Simmons tear his ACL in the draft process or see a guy like Jalen Smith, you know, suffer a knee injury in a bowl game and then drop pretty precipitously and cost themselves multiple millions of dollars. I kind of think we're all on board with the idea that if you want to skip out a non-playoff bowl game, that it's okay. And yet I go to Andrew Thomas's tweet that he's skipping the bowl game. And the first comment is a faceless little egg avatar. The guy who's like, like, Love them dogs, 69 or something at like, like Greg loves dogs at, at 420. Um, and he's like, you won't even care about the university that you went to for three years. Are you, Brady, do you get sick and tired of these people? I get like there's two sides of it, but where, where do you kind of fall on that? Yeah, there's a lot of ignorance that really surrounds it. Uh, for starters, if you just want to get really technical with it, when you sign up for your scholarship, uh, obviously that it doesn't include exhibition games. This is, you know, bowl games and exhibition game. It's not even technically part of your scholarship that you're, you know, awarded each one of your four eligible years. So from that standpoint, you really don't have any duty to the university. Now, if you're playing for a national championship, that's a different story. I mean, obviously, I think every player that's even in that position that's going to be drafted but uh, is going to go try to play to win it all, they're going to play on those games. You know, we haven't seen anyone sit out any any of those, at least to date. So, um, you know, to me, does it hurt from the competitive side of things? Yeah, I, th- I think for me, I'd like to see him <clears throat> join his teammates, go out there, try to play, try to win. Are there ways to circumvent some of the risk? Of course, you know, you can go ahead and get an insurance policy, right? So if you drop in the draft because of that, then you end up making whatever the difference would be based on the contract and where you're drafted and you sign compared to the value which you had before that injury had taken place. So you can always go that route. Uh, more universities are looking at doing that for athletes. Um, so that sometimes maybe makes some sense. Um, but I don't know why anyone has an issue with this. I mean, for starters, it's like 1% or maybe less of players are even doing this. Um, it's not like you get players on every team doing this in every bowl game, right? It's only a select few uh, who feel like they're first-round talents or and are going to get drafted and don't want to take on that risk. So um, it's it's becoming more common, and I think it probably should be if we're being honest with ourselves. So um, that's kind of how I feel about it. I, I don't know that there's really much to kind of debate or argue unless you're just an avid fan of college football and you don't like the NFL. Uh, and you can't figure out what's one plus one. Uh, if, if that's an issue for you, then yeah, you probably can't figure out why these guys are trying to not, you know, risk their lives or livelihood, um, and the chance to, of making millions of dollars by going out getting injured in a probably meaningless bowl game. Yeah, Ryan, I'm curious too, like, how does that factor into, you know, your evaluation of a guy for the draft? I mean, like, you know, top 10 guy, Andrew Thomas, right? You're not, you know, like, well, you skipped the, skipped the sugar bowl. Sorry, pal. You don't care about your teammates. You banged. Um, and by the way, Jerry Judy says that he is going to play in the ball game. There's no reason not to play. It's just like, it's your choice, man. If you want to play, play. Right. If not, but like, right. do you, does it matter to you, Ryan? Um, you know, whether or not, like, does it matter from an evaluation standpoint? And then to a specific evaluation, uh, what, maybe there's some running backs out there that you look at that might be skipping the bowl that, uh, you may or may not, uh, change your opinion on. Well, you mentioned Jerry Judy, and I, Nick Saban actually said, if you're going to be a first-round pick, I have no issue with you not playing. I was talking to someone the other day, and they were talking about Trevon Diggs and Terrell Lewis, uh, two likely first-round picks from Alabama, and they basically said, listen, um, they've been making business decisions all year. It, it makes sense they would make one more business decision not play in this football game. So, look, these guys are first-round talents. Ouch. One less game where they can get hurt. I'm fine with that, and I don't think any NFL team cares. No NFL team cared when Christian McCaffrey didn't play in his bowl game, by the way. Uh, he turned out to be okay. So I think that's where teams are generally on that, especially if you're a quarterback, for example, and one less game to worry about you getting hurt. You mentioned the running backs. Cam Akers out of Florida State is uh, had a really good season, and um, he could be a day-two pick. So he's not playing. That's fine. A.J. Dillon out of Boston College. I actually saw him play live against Syracuse. He's built like Jerome Bettis, not quite as uh, quick in the feet, but he's a really good running back. I don't know if he's a day two guy, probably a day three guy. He's he's done playing, and that's okay too. Um, if you're going to some place like the Senior Bowl or, or the, the the Shrine Bowl, somewhere we can display your skills for these coaches and scouts who are there in person, that's 
more I think that speaks more to to the type of player you'll translate to in the NFL than whether you play in a bowl game where when a lot of times already a lot of guys aren't are, have already decided not to play in those games. The only thing I'd make a case for guys who aren't playing in bowl games are like for example like Alex Hornibrook, he quarterback at Florida State, transferred from Wisconsin, split time with with James Blackman this year down there and things didn't go well and and who knows, you know, maybe he wasn't going to play or wasn't going to play very much, but for a quarterback, it does give you the opportunity to get some good tape versus a team that at least had six wins, right? In order to be bowl eligible, you you have to be able to win six games or more. So it's it's a decent team to some degree. Uh, it gives you some time to prepare and all that. So uh, I, I do think bowl evaluations, at least for the talent evaluators, are meaningful to some degree for certain positions. But then there's other positions like running back, linebacker, you know, the guys in the trenches. I don't know if it makes a ton of sense to take that risk unless you've got an insurance policy or unless you feel like you really, you know, with a big performance, you could really improve your draft stock. Um, so there's a lot of things to contemplate, but we definitely shouldn't be hammering some of these young men who are trying to make what they feel like is the best decision for their future and potentially future generations when you think about how much money they could make. Uh, and I'm sure for the people and then whoever that guy was you were talking about i'm sure he'd make the same decision if he was in his shoes he's just going to say otherwise because he doesn't have that perspective so we got a lot of bowl games coming up starting on friday two i effing love bowl season i love bowl season so much it's football every day i mean every damn day there's a football game on for like 25 straight days it's so wonderful bowl pools i think are uh are just delightful and uh, the first two games that we have coming up um, are the Bahamas Bowl. Shout out Will Healy getting Charlotte to the Bahamas Bowl. They're six and a half point dog against Buffalo. Interesting matchup there, uh, but I don't know if there's a ton of prospects in that one. Utah State, Kent State, though, on Friday night, because the Bahamas Bowl is Friday at 2 p.m. Don't forget to get your uh, bowl picks in. Um, Utah State, but don't want people to think it doesn't start at 2 p.m. You never know. Utah State, Kent State, uh, Jordan Love is supposed to play, has already accepted an invite to the Senior Bowl, has already declared, or I guess he de- didn't need to declare, he's, he's gone. Uh, but then he got popped for, uh, or apparently charged with uh, smoking weed in his dorm room, Ryan. What's the latest on Jordan Love that you've heard? Well, you pointed my attention to the to the story coming out of Logan, Utah, where a couple players um, were in their rooms smoking weed and got caught. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, you do that in Colorado. No one cares. Um, so I don't know. I don't know what comes to this. I don't know how the what this means for his, his chances to play on on Friday in the bowl game. But uh, it would be nice to see him play one more time. And he's going to go to the Senior Bowl, which is probably more important, where he'll be around a lot of really good players, and we can see exactly in person what Jordan Love's all about because. He had a not great season, to put it nicely, 17 touchdowns, 16 interceptions, I believe. But his measurables are just off the charts, and NFL teams love the, the physical sort of attributes, the, the box checking they can do by just looking at the way he plays. He just has to be more consistent. He hasn't done that. The uh, Frisco Bowl would be another opportunity to do that if he's allowed to play. I haven't heard anything. And then, of course, the Senior Bowl will be three practices and then the game on Saturday to, to show NFL teams one last time um, what he can do at the college level. Yeah, and he's probably the one that has the most to make up in this whole process. And that's why when you look at the decision of whether or not he plays in the Frisco Bowl, it's it's pretty significant for a couple of reasons. One, if you're Utah State, obviously gives you a better chance of winning the game, but also just for, for his future. You know, if you know he, he wants to try to put some more good tape out there, which there wasn't quite as much of this year, this is a good opportunity for it uh, outside of, of, of the Senior Bowl as well, where, again, I, I think you're going to see a lot of his natural raw talent. Um, but we also know that when guys go out there and they don't have the type of performance early in that week in practice, which is really important in that week is how they practice, sometimes it can create a bad first impression for a lot of those evaluators who are down there in Mobile. So um, it, it's a big off season for Jordan Love because he's the guy in my mind who I think has a lot of incredible raw skills – but also has the most to make up based on how his season went uh, this past year at Utah State. Other bowls of note in the next few days, the uh, Vegas Bowl, Boise State versus Washington, um, Jacob Eason. Checking that out. He hasn't declared yet, has he, guys? Ryan, do you know if he's declared yet? Haven't heard anything. Yeah, I, I think some of it may be weighing on how this performance goes and then kind of getting some feelers out there to see where he's going to be projected to go. 
I think if, if enough people tell him he's a first round pick, he's going to go. If, you know, maybe it's a little bit gray, which to be quite honest with you, I, I do think it's gray as of, as it sits right now. I think he should come back for another year. Uh, even then at that point, maybe it's unlikely, right? I mean, think about it. When he went there, he went there to go play for Chris Peterson. This is a Jimmy Lake run team now. I don't think he's going to do a good job, but you know, maybe he's concerned about how the offense is going to operate with a defensive minded head coach. Uh, so th- there's, there's obviously some considerations, I think, either way for Jacob Eason, but he's going up against the good Boise State defense. You know, Curtis Weaver's one of the guys you, you know, you want to look at and watch throughout the course of this game. Um, so it, it should be a tough matchup for him. Any, um, maybe he decides he wants to play for Jimmy Lake and help Jimmy Lake out as he transitions to be the head coach and, and it benefits both parties involved. So, you know, who knows with that? Uh, elsewhere. Hey, by the way, Brinson? Yes. I just want to point this out. Debo put this, uh, dropped this in from Brock Heward. He goes, as I watch Jacob Beeson, I'll be honest, see a bunch of me and him in my last year at UW. Very little joy, weight of the world on his shoulders, no creativity and playmaking outside of occasional rocket shots. He seems to be pressing. Not a fun way to play quarterback or offensively play football. So I don't know if that'll weigh in on his decision ultimately about whether to come back or, or go pro. But I will say the first half of the season looked a lot different than the second half of the season for Jacob Eason. Uh, I watched, I think, 10 of his games and, um, Short and intermediate passes, he was on point almost all the time, but he was taking more sacks. He was pressing a little bit towards the end there and didn't play a lot of good football. You know, the other thing is, as Brock kind of lays out that example, sometimes, too, that's what happens when you have a new offense because you're, you're, you're so geared into trying to run it the way the coach wants to run it, uh, being you know your first year actually running the system. I know he was there the year prior, but he wasn't eligible. So, you know, when, when you're out there and running it, sometimes you get kind of get caught up in the fact of just being like, well, this is how the play is supposed to run. This is what my coach is asking me to do. This is my job and this is what I'm trying to execute. Sometimes you forget it's a game and like, all right, that, that didn't work. Now I've got to create. Now I've got to kind of buy time. And he, he's actually showed a, you know, decent athleticism too, to be able to do that from time, from time to time. So you can relate and see that a little bit in his play as far as what Brock Heward mentioned, but, I think that's sometimes the reason why. And just being a guy who I had to learn two different offenses during my time in college and, you know, almost an offense every single year during my time in, in eight years in the NFL, a lot of times you can fall for that trap where you're so concerned about getting things right from a mental perspective and how it was drawn on paper that you forget that there's this other play that starts when the first play breaks down or when things don't necessarily work out the way you think they're going to. Holiday Bowl, December 27th, Iowa versus USC. It's 10 days from now, but, uh, or maybe nine days from now. Ryan, who should we look at in Iowa, USC? Anybody to keep an eye on? I mentioned, I mentioned Tristan Wirfs earlier as a top five pick. His uh, teammate, Alaric Jackson, who plays left tackle, probably going to be a day two pick. AJ Epinesa could be a top 15 pick, the edge rusher. Um, he may decide to come back. There's some conversation that Wirfs might as well. And then on the other side of the ball, uh, or for the other team, USC has Michael Pittman Jr., who has had a big season as well as Tyler Vaughn's, his, uh, wide receiver running mate those are two really good wide receivers um some people think Vaughn's is better but but Pittman is a bigger target sort of downfield target we'll see how fast he runs he's going to be at the combine but uh if you're looking for people to watch those are five guys right there what about, about Nate Stanley that, man did you mention Nate Stanley no I did not mention Nate it Stanley. might be so he could be a late round quarterback depending where he's taken had yeah. a great sophomore year not so much after that point moving forward um, but he'll be an interesting one to see how talent, you know, evaluators view him. He's got a big arm. Accuracy is inconsistent at times. He's not the greatest athlete, which sets up bad for, uh, a quarterback entering into a league where typically if you get drafted, you might be playing behind a team that doesn't have a great offensive line. So you better be able to move or you better be able to get the ball out of your hand and ask Chris Hassel or Chris Hassel. He's a diehard Hawkeyes fan. He's very frustrated with Nate Stanley. Well, you know what? <laughs> Iowa sucks, Hassel. Live with it. Um, the, <laughs> the, uh, is Michael Pittman Jr. like Michael Pittman Jr.? Yeah. Like the actual. Yeah. Yeah. Each, each passing year is more and more depressing when you see the people. Yeah. It's like Asante Samuel Jr. And then, um, who's the ball? Antoine, Win- Antoine Winfield Jr. from Minnesota. That's yeah, right. That dude, that Safety. dude balls. He had he's, a great year, man. Yeah. He's a player. Uh, Camping World Bowl. Well, that's weird. I would have assumed Notre Dame was going to like a really important fun bowl, but I guess Camping World Bowl will have to is settle it. Is NC State in a bowl this year? We are not. <laughs> oh, okay. I was just, hey, let me know, Will. Let me know where, where Tuffy and all the boys are showing up to throw out the free beer at the Wolfpack's next bowl game. Or is it, is it basketball season now? Have you guys moved on to basketball? Is that where we're at? We have. Hey, we by actually, the way. Yes. I want right, to say, good. we all three have a connection 
through football, coach. You know what I'm going to say? Coach of William Mary, coach of Notre Dame, coach of NC State. Lou Holtz? Lou Holtz, baby. Oh, yeah, there we go. All right, yeah. Lou Holtz. So we can all come together on Lou Holtz. Fun fact, Lou Holtz has no interest in discussing his time in Raleigh. He, like, don't, won't even, like, mention it. If you ask him, he's like, I don't know what you're talking about. You're like, you coached there for three years, Lou. He's like, mm, mm, mm. no damn, no damn, no damn. Um, by the way, I have a great story. I'm not going to tell it now because it would take too long and it would be, I need to properly vet it if I can tell it on the video show and the podcast. But, uh, Russell Wilson's final year at NC State, he, we, uh, NC State made it to the Camping World Bowl and me and a little fella named Zeke, we, uh, drove down and somebody else whose name I won't mention on here drove down. Uh, from North Carolina to Orlando and had a eventful two and a half days, um, at the Camping World Bowl. I will say that, uh, actually, you know what? Can I, can I tell it real quick? Do we have time? Are you in a hurry to get out of here? Okay. So, um, the final, the, the night after the Camping World Bowl, we all go to the ball game and we had a great rowdy time and we get back and we know have to get up early the next morning to leave. And, uh, Zeke, the hotel room is under Zeke's name. And, uh, so he, he, for whatever reason, decides he's going to bed early. And we like, me and like three or four other guys are down there and we're like, you know what? Let's put some, some drinks on, uh, let's put some drinks on the old honeycut tab, the old honeycut room. So we're like firing drinks left and right on, on, uh, on there. And it's like, ends up being like 75 bucks or something like that. And I'm, I'm splitting a room with Zeke. Wake up the next morning, you know, we're like, put it on like 1305 or whatever it was. Wake up the next morning and Zeke's like, Branson? Somebody's put drinks on my room. And I'm like, oh man, that's, that's unacceptable. I was like, you know, you probably just gotta, you know, take the L and move on and head on back to North Carolina, buddy. He's like, nope. I just talked to security. We're about to go over the security footage downstairs. And so I have to like walk down with Zeke and we get down there and he sit, he sits in the, like in the, like in the back of the hotel in the security office. And he's like, like watching black and white footage. It's just all of us like, like cackling hilariously and like, like tossing the drinks back and charging to his room. And uh, he got very angry for the next 10 hours or so. That's the story. That's, that's you. That's that's some story, man. That, that, That is, that is Will Brinson. You got to hear the, the lead up to the, the other part of the story is, is more interesting, but it's not really appropriate for the podcast. So anyway, uh, that's the Camping World Bowl. Hope you enjoy your time at, at down there in Orlando, Brady. Are you going to go? I'll, no, I'll be working all of other obligations. Okay. Cool. <laughs> I just thought I'd let that linger. Um, we got a, a podcast. The next podcast will be Fantasy. Myself and Heath Cummings, I think BMAC are joining us. I'm not sure. We'll be doing championship. Hold preview. on. Who's winning it all in college football? Who do you got winning uh, the semis? Who's playing for the national championship? Clemson, baby. Rolling. What's Ryan. their number three? Why is that weird? Why is it their third? Because it's because you're such a homer, but go ahead. Ryan, who do you They're think? the best team. Who have they played? I'm on team LSU, baby. That's right. He's got Joey Burrow all the way. Storied season, historical. I'm going to go Ohio State. I'm going to go Ohio State. They have the toughest road because they have to beat Clemson and they'd probably have to beat LSU. Uh, no one obviously mentioned Oklahoma. They'll probably bounce in the semis, but I, I think it's Ohio State. So this is fun. We've got all three different teams. We'll see. Let's, put, let's do a little wager on it. Clemson let's, hasn't played anybody yet. You worried about that at all? I'm worried about no, that. No. They haven't lost since 2017. All right. All right, Dabo. All right. They haven't, lo- they haven't lost since 2017. That's insane. I think with their last loss, they like, haven't played anyone. <laughs> I mean, there's a reason why they haven't lost. If, if, if everyone got the waltz through the terrible ACC with NC State in it, yeah, they probably would be, they'd probably be undefeated too. They ain't played nobody, Paul. Yeah. And what, what happened when they did? What happened when they had to play LSU and even, you know, Auburn? Clemson ain't played nobody, Paul. All right. Uh, I got Clemson. Ryan's got LSU. Brady's got Ohio State. Do you remember, Ryan, do you remember the, uh, was it the Sugar Bowl? When, um, when, who was it? Was it, what, what, what was the deal? Who married who? Is it your sister is married to AJ Hawk? Is that right? Yeah, but that was the Fiesta Bowl. Fiesta Bowl. Wasn't she wearing like split jersey? jersey? Split jersey. Yeah. That was like the first big like split jersey move out there. It was cool. It's funny because I remember asking her like where that came from, and she's like, "Yeah, I think I saw like Nelly with the Saint Lunatics, which was pretty popular <laughs> back then." 
Yeah. She saw him like a split jersey and it dawned on her, why don't I do a split jersey for AJ and Brady? And so she did, although after the game, because we lost, which might I add, if you go back, go watch the, I believe it was in the fourth quarter. Ohio State's driving. Anthony Gonzalez catches a pass over the middle and then takes a couple steps and gets stripped. The ball is picked up. Zivikowski runs it back for a touchdown. Tie ball game. But they go back and review it. They say it was an incomplete pass. Ohio State drives down scores, and that's where they create kind of the, the separation. The game was a lot closer than the scoreboard looked at, you know, towards the end. But once again, Notre Dame got hammered by a bad call. The reason why I bring that up is after the game, my sister admitted she was like, I should have just worn your jersey. She's like, I just felt so bad, and I feel like I was going to feel worse if you lost than if AJ lost. So that's the truth behind the half jersey. It never should have came to fruition. Mm, it's a good sister, too. Yeah, seriously. Is it uh, a good right. sister? I mean, she wore the jersey. She yeah. got more FaceTime and AJ and I combined. We actually played in the game. Way more. That's the only thing I remember about that game. I don't remember Zivikowski and Anthony Gonzalez. Out of here. I do actually remember all that. Anyway. Go back uh, and watch the play. It was a fumble. Should have been a completely different outcome. I'll check it out, and then I'll talk to you about it on Christmas Eve when we're doing the show at 10 o'clock. We know we're recording on 10 o'clock on Christmas Eve, right? Perfect. All right. Sounds great. Um, awesome show. Fun times. Talk to you guys uh, next week or whenever. Happy holidays. Happy next year. year. Oh, see you next year. See you next decade, Brady. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving nonstop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app.